Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a playoff edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. The Sixers are up 3-0 in their first round series against the Toronto Raptors following Wednesday night's 104-101 overtime thriller against the against the Raptors, obviously. Um, with me on the line to talk that and everything for the Sixers playoffs thus far and the postseason around the league is Dave Early of Liberty Ballers. Dave, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. After that win, still riding high. Yeah, so let, let's start at the at the end, I guess. And Joel Embiid hits hits the game-winning three with less than a second remaining in overtime. I, I, what was what was your immediate reaction to that, and and what was your your feelings in in the immediate aftermath of of that win? My immediate was like when you when you watch a touchdown and you know it's going to have to be reviewed because it was close. So I was tempered. Like I would have been like like uh, Eli, like a winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Do you remember that famous reaction where like his whole family was celebrating, but Eli was like, "Well, let's wait and see if it counts." That was my reaction. I was like holding my breath because I feel felt like you could hear a pin drop in the stadium, and then one referee kept continuously blowing his whistle, and I was preparing myself for them to wave it off for some reason or another. Like he stepped out of bounds. Um, so, like, I had that moment of, oh, wait, is it or isn't it? But the Sixers were celebrating. So, I was like, well, they like it. Uh, <laughs> and then they just said it counts. And then finally I allowed myself to um, get excited. But then I had to switch back because it was 0.7 or left. Or no, what was their left? Point, point 0.8, I think, yeah. Point 0.8, and they got a shot attempt. So, I had to go back to being a little bit nervous. Um, by the time it finally happened, I was like, so relieved <laughs> yeah there then, wasn't a, there happened. wasn't a confetti cannon so you, you never really know unless the confetti cannon goes off yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh i i actually it's interesting that you were so um like patient i guess in, in kind of waiting just to see how that played out I, I i never had that personally i i felt pretty confident that he got it off in time and so i was just thrilled for joel in particular, and he looked so joyous out there, just immediately running down the court and, and screaming and jubilation and all the other guys just congratulating him and just celebrating with him. And, and just, it, it hit me kind of right away. Like, Hey, that was the same basket where the Kawhi shot happened. And he, you know, goes back to the locker room crying because he left everything out there. And then not only does he have to deal with that loss, he has to deal with like the social media trolls getting on him for, for the crying and all, all that went into that and how the, the tough games he's had against Toronto over the years 
and just how how amazing that must have felt just for him personally to have that moment where he was able to come through on this huge stage and and lift his team up not only with the game winner but just an incredible second half performance and overtime performance and just you know we've we've been through a lot with Joel in his professional career here in Philadelphia and that was a, a really nice iconic moment that I think we'll we'll always look back on and get to uh, think fondly upon any any time we we recall it and it, it's going to be one of the the handful of moments that come foremost to mind when we we look back on his career so just just a really really nice thing to see yeah and like even aside from the baggage which like you said you can't put that aside that's enormous. Um, I didn't expect them to win that game for, for most of that game. You know, like what were they down 17 or something Yeah. early on? It just felt like, all right, let's maybe Joel wasn't quite right. He had five points at the half. I haven't seen that all year. I know he had the ankle. I know he had the elbow and now his thumb. Maybe you got to get this guy on ice and try to win game four, but then Scotty Barnes is going to be back. And that crowd is just so vociferous and loud. The F and B chants were so crazy. But I was like, man, this this series is going to get ugly fast. Um, if they if they wound up with like a ten point lead in Philly for Game Five, you would start to get really scared. Um, they come back. Harden played really well before he fouled out. Tobias Harris is really really good. Danny Green, like you wrote, uh, was that your piece? Revitalized. Yeah, that was me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, just at the right time. So that's been so huge because. You and I would not have been surprised if they wound up really missing Matisse. Gary Trent Jr. looked like he was going to light the world on fire like he did at the tail end of the regular season against us when he had 30. He started off that game hot as well. So I, I didn't expect him, but they clawed back in it. And they had like a crummy possession at the end of regulation. And this possession before Doc Rivers called that clutch timeout looked even worse. Joel Embiid like flung a half-court hook shot because <laughs> Yeah, we, knocked it away. <laughs> we 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 gotta draw something up better than wind the clock down to six seconds and then give it to Joel twenty five feet from the basket. But gotta there's got, there's got to be something something else they can <laughs> they can devise. <laughs> but um, but yeah, give give Doc a lot of credit. Like, give Tobias credit on the pick. Give Nick Nurse um, credit for not hounding Danny Green on the inbounds. That worked in our favor. Yeah, he he immediately while they were lining up on the court, he yelled to Fred Van Fleet to to go at back into the paint rather than being up towards the inbounder. So, yeah, that was good. Thanks, Nick. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah, don't know, I don't know what Fred was going to do down there anyway. Was, was he going to break up the lob to, to Tobias or something? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. But yeah, just I mean, it's twenty four hours, almost twenty four hours later, and I'm still like delirious from it. Yeah, it's it, it is incredible because they 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 hardly ever win that type of game. Like coming never. back from seventeen, and they never let they didn't lead the entire regular portion of the game. They their first lead came in overtime, and yeah, you're right. The everything that had been going right for the Sixers was flipped, and and suddenly Toronto was getting the offensive rebounds, and they were causing the turnovers and getting out on the fast break. So all all the things on the margins that they, they need to do to be a 
more talented Sixers team they were doing. And yeah, the crowd was going crazy and the Sixers looked flustered. And yeah, that was, that was the game. They came out with, you know, they, they knew it was a do or die situation essentially. So they came out and gave maximum effort and yeah, they, they jumped out to that 17 point lead and, you know, you wouldn't have fault faulted the Sixers. Like, Hey, they dropped a tough game three. It's, it's bound to happen. Like you didn't expect them to, to get out to a three Oh series lead against a, a proud and hardworking Toronto team. And then as you mentioned, like, yeah, the Barnes could come back and now you go back to game four, you go to game four, suddenly the pressure's on the Sixers to, to not have this fall back into an even two, two series. And you could, you could think, think things could snowball essentially. So to, to come back from down 17 and now you're in a position where teams are 143 and O when they lead three O in a seven game series. So it's essentially over like Van Vliet, I think after the game said they're going to be playing for pride moving, moving forward. Yes. Uh, I didn't hear that. I'm so happy he said that. <laughs> um, I, I don't think he meant that it was over. I think they're like, Hey, what do you, what do you do in this situation? And he's like, well, every time we step on the court, like, you know, you, you got to have pride when you step on the court. So we're going to keep fighting was, you know, the gist of what he was saying. Subconsciously but, he's throwing it in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I, I mean, and a lot of the credit has to fall on jo- to uh, Joel's shoulders for the 18 point third quarter, just like a mammoth effort to go from being down 10 at halftime to being down one going into the fourth quarter. That's MVP basketball right there. That's, that's what players like that do. And it, it wasn't like he was getting a ton of easy looks. He was hitting insane step backs and fadeaways and turnarounds and like that dunk midway through the third quarter where it was, it was a really nice pass from Harden to set him up, but it wasn't like it was a, it was a clear lane. He just like kind of, kind of powered in between the defenders and gave them no chance of stepping in the way. Like he, he was just incredible from, from halftime on um, just one of the, one of those iconic performances. So it was, it was very fitting that he also had the game winner to, to cap it off because yeah, that was, that was his night for sure. Yeah. If you, if you look back at like all the different playoffs, there's just, you know, Joel involved in such heartbreak, Kawhi's shot, and he didn't play that well. Part of that series, you know, I know he had the knee. I know he had the bleeps, the gastroenteritis <laughs> blues. Um, he didn't have his running mate, Ben Simmons, in 2020, and he had partial tear of the lateral meniscus in 21. And it was always like, you know, just something else happening. Um, it would not have been surprising if that second half he had another one of those. Didn't he have like no points or 0 for 11 from the field once against Toronto? Uh, it wouldn't have been surprising if it went that way. And instead, he just he exercised some of those demons. He got that proverbial monkey off his back and he just went bananas. Uh, it looked like he sort of transcended some of the pain he was feeling. I know he's really wincing about that thumb and he controlled the defensive end. You know, you could almost hear the coach speak we're always here like don't worry about the shots just get the stops and then the rest will come and that's kind of how it played out on the court yeah they they chipped away and it was really emblematic uh the last two minutes of the game when i think they were down five at the time and it's like yeah you could you could pack it in inside two minutes you're down five but you know they got a stop they got a bucket they got another stop they they just piled it on and eventually they, they were able to tie the game inside the last 
30 seconds and even had a shot to win it. So that was, that was just the mentality they went with. And I think it, it started with Joel getting them back into the game. And then as Tobias said, like once that dunk happened, the, the, the teammates were kind of looking at each other like, Hey, we're right in this. Like we, we, we got this, let's do it. Um, so that, that's just the kind of confidence that leaders show and, and, and bring, bring that to the table for everybody else and, and let that like, Hey, we got, come on, I'm going to put you on your back. I need you. Let, like, let's go and do this. Um, just incredible effort from Joel and, and everybody else. Um, yeah, let, let's, let's talk about the other guys. Cause it, you know, Joel very deservingly has been getting a lot of praise and, but it, it wasn't solely him either in game three or the first three games as a whole. Uh, you just mentioned Tobias. Uh, so let's, let's talk about this complete 180 in the minds and hearts of, of Sixers fans where very disappointing postseasons in the past. He had the, the don't effing clap moment earlier this year, which to his credit, he pretty quickly reversed and said, like, listen, I was just frustrated. Like the fans, the fans are cool. Like I'm not like, don't take that to heart or anything, but up and down season for him and now he's completely embraced the supporting player role he's taking the catch and shoot threes he's acting decisively he's fighting hard on the glass and he's you know most most surprisingly playing like top-notch shutdown defense and there have been moments in the past where or stretches i should say where twice has been solid on the defensive end he he kind of wavers between below average and you feel you feel good with him in certain matchups, but right now he's been like Siakam's primary defender doing a great job, had some, some clutch steals and, and like dig downs on, on guards late in the game three. I, I don't know, Dave, what, what, where did this come from? Like I, I, I'm, I remain, I'm befuddled that Tobias has been playing this good defensively. It's, it's great to watch. I don't know. I I'm not thinking of any, I'm trying to think of like a historic comp where a guy went from like, this is not, this isn't a good defender at all. So he's doing some like, you know, sensational deep. Maybe, you know, who reminds me of a little bit was um, remember when in 2013 NBA finals, when Popovich put Boris DL on LeBron and it worked. <laughs> yes. I it do. was like, <laughs> it was like, I can't believe that Boris who's this powerful, like, you know, he's might be in the same weight class as LeBron but not even close, but he did have surprisingly quick feet. And so when I watch Harris guard Siakam now, I think like, okay, he's going to, he's going to turn him this way and then bump. He's going to slide to the left and then turn him this way and then bump. He's taking those, you know, like three spin moves that Siakam likes to do to get into the lane to get towards that, like jump hook floater, but he's all over it. He's, he's there and he's not falling for it. Like he did even, the third to last game of the regular season. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Complete reversal. He's taking those hits. He's moving his feet really well. And he has the power to absorb that physicality. And it's, it's no, it's never clearer than when he sits and Niang comes in and just gets bulldozed by the same moves. Yeah. Uh, a, I think, I think Siakam is a, is a good matchup for Tobias because he's not the type of player that has this incredible change of direction speed. Um, he, he does it more through power and t- one of Tobias's strengths as a defender has always been that he's, he's pretty stout. He's, he's a pretty strong guy and doesn't really get pushed around that easily, um, which is why he 
he did some cross matching and guarded centers in the past to to some good results. But yes, Yakum, he he's trying to he's trying to spin and get by him, but he's not quick enough. Like Tobias is quick enough to 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 slide and stay with him there, and he's trying to back him down, but that's not going to work. And he's trying to do his little like forearm shiver stuff and and kind of just create separation. But Tobias is stout enough to you know absorb that and and maintain his positioning. Um, and yeah, he's just been putting the work in, like nonstop effort from him on that end of the court, and you know, not only there, but on the, on the glass, which <laughs> that would have been a very, uh, I mean, the Joel shot was per- incredibly storybook and everything, but Tobias getting that offensive rebound and, and fighting for that, like he did and getting that put back. I think that would have been a, a really nice story as well. And just emblematic of, of how he's been fighting in this, in this series and the kind of, uh, transition he made from hey, I got to be this isolation scorer type to being this glue guy type. Um, that would have been a, a, a nice way to cap that off. But uh, anyway, he's he's just been doing it all. And, and as you said, he, he's the one that set the screen to free Joel in the game-winning shot. Like just all the the things to fill in the cracks, that's what Tobias has been doing. And he's also been hitting his shots. He's been very efficient this series. Um, he, had, he had a very good scoring game in game two. Um, he's averaging 19 points a game right now. He's... He's shooting almost 60% from the field, 58.8% from the field and uh, 63% from three. Like, obviously that there's going to be some regression, but that, uh, that's incredible. Like every, everything you, we've been shouting at Tobias to do for what's it been three years or whatever that he's been here. He he's embraced it all at once. And the, the results couldn't have been, couldn't be better right now. Definitely. <laughs> Could not have imagined such a stark turnaround, like just in the nick of time at the tail end of the season. There was two weeks where fans were putting him in trade machines every day. Come the summer, they they'd accepted yeah. that this just wasn't a fit. Once you got Harden, with Harden, you need a three and D guy, not a guy who wants to ISO as much as a guy who wants to catch it and dribble. And so, how many times did we see Harden create an advantage, get by his man, suck in the defense, kick it out, and then? Uh, Harris dribbles and allows them to finally catch their breath and recover. That's not happening now. And he's, you know, when he's got FVV on him, he's scoring right under the rim. Um, I, I have felt like his handle looks sharper all of a sudden, like even on a couple of his misses, he's making these like really clean looking crossovers. He put a, a filthy move on Siakam last game, like behind the back and through the legs at the same time. And like, I, I watched James Harden start, retreating back to defense because he knew it was buckets. And I was like, man, Toby's got this body language that's really good about him right now. So hopefully he can keep building on it. Yeah, he's just, I I think it speaks to how decisive he's being. He's making his his drives right away while the defense is still kind of on their heels. And it it, it makes a marked difference from when he catches and kind of assesses the floor and the the defender's like, all right, here's, we're going into Toby ISO mode and they can kind of square up and, you know, get get their feet on the balls of their feet and, and everything. Whereas he's getting these, these swings and attacking right away. Like th- those creases are going to be there and the defender's not going to be quite as ready. So that gives you the advantage as the attacker. Um, so I, I think some, uh, a small amount of credit for the turnaround probably has to go to uh, coach Harden, who ever since his arrival was 
<laughs> in in Toby's ear, especially, and and really everyone's like, hey, I'm I'm going to hit you with open looks behind the arc. Just like put those up. Like that's what you need to do. Um, so with Harden in mind, what what have you thought about his first three games in the playoffs as a Sixer? He's averaging 18.3 points a game, 10 assists per game. I, I thought game three was his his best performance of the series. Um, despite fouling out in the in the closing seconds of regulation. Uh, in the first half, everything was kind of falling apart for the Sixers, but I thought he was a really a steadying presence for them and had some clutch step-back threes, was getting getting to the rim just enough and drawing some fouls and just, just looked really composed, whereas everyone else looked frantic. And I, 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 there's no way they win that game without without Harden on the team. Like if, it, if they hadn't made the trade and it was the Seth and Andre still in the rotation, but no Harden, like I think they pretty easily fall behind by 20 some and the game just gets away from them. And, uh, but what, what did you think about his, his game three performance and, and what you've seen from him as a whole in this series, because his health and everything else was definitely a question mark coming in. Yeah. I thought they wouldn't, definitely wouldn't have won that game. I thought he was instrumental in, Climbing back from that, you know, almost 20-point hole, he got some big buckets there. Um, he hit a couple important threes in that stretch, I believe. Um, he was attacking, and it, it wasn't the maxi show like it was in Philly, so they did need a little bit more from him in terms of scoring. Like, he couldn't have done another 6 of 17 type of game where you don't even notice, or a 3 of 9, and you don't even notice. Um, like he did in games one and two because Maxi was just falling so hard. So in this one, he was big. I mean, at the tail end of regulation, I think he, he got to the free throw line. He got a layup that was called for goaltend. So he, he kept him in it when it was just about to slip away. I think Maxi hit that pull up with a little scissor kick and then Harden went into the lane and drove, might've got fouled. So uh, not happening without him. I did not think they were going to win in overtime without him because he had been so good and so steadying, like you said, he's such a good presence for them. Um, he deserves a lot of credit because he's getting overshadowed here by Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, but he's taken them to another level. Like if we wanted to unlock him as a scorer, we would put more shooters around him. We might play some more five out and then he look he would look better. And if he goes into the offseason and says, I want more of that, I wouldn't be surprised. But the other thing that has happened is he's helped, guys like Harris and Maxi find their stride and play mega efficient basketball. Um, and that's a, such a large part because of James and his playmaking. So it's so ridiculous that he has this reputation as, as a Chuck Tyrese Maxi, I'm open James Harden. And like that doesn't fit the player that we've seen this past first point guard whatsoever. Yeah. He's that's not at all the player he's been ever since he arrived in Philadelphia. Um, it's, it's amazing how often guys on the opposing teams still like double double team him when he when he's driving to the rim and just leaving open those those corner threes because I feel like that's Harden's first read before even looking to score himself at this point of his career is is looking at those corners and, and making those those kickout passes. Um, I don't know why. I, I guess it's just Toronto's defensive scheme because they they do over. I, I think they allow one of the highest percentage of corner threes in the league. Um, that's just something they kind of give up at the expense of clogging the lane and trying to create turnovers and everything else. 
But against Harden, that's just a death sentence. And it's why, you know, some so many of the supporting guys have have had really nice series so far is because they're they're leaving that those guys open to try and stop Harden when he's getting into the lane. And he's very he's more than willing. He's it's it seems like it's first option to, to hit those guys. Um, and they're they're converting and every everything's flowing as an offense. Um, he, he, yeah, he's looked good, and and I think he's been able to beat his man a little bit more than he was in the regular season. He looked it looked like the weak layoff did help him. Uh, he, he I haven't seen as much of the, the like the flailing because he can't get by the guy and he's tr- he's trying to draw the foul at the expense of everything else. Uh, we haven't really seen any of that in the in the postseason. Um, and his, his shooting's been good. He's, he's, you know, hitting, he's hitting the step backs at a, a good enough rate that you, you want him to continue taking those shots. And he's, he's looked to hit the catch and shoots on a, on a couple occasions. So yeah, every, everything clicking for him right now. Um, he's not the 30 point a game guy that he was a few years back, but they don't need him to be, they have, they have other players who can score. They, they need, they've always needed a point guard on this team and he's, He's one of the best to do it. So, uh, yeah, fitting fitting in perfectly, and as you said, help, helping a lot of the other guys to excel. Um, Tobias one, and uh, another one in a big way is Tyrese Maxey. Who, yeah, we should talk about him now because, man, what a postseason starter debut for Tyrese Maxey. One off his career high in game one with 38 points. Um, another outstanding game in in game two uh i forget exact what his exact total was uh 20 20 some points on like an 81 percent true shooting percentage or something um not not quite as good in game three he 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 had a a high turnover game for the first time that i can really recall um not he's usually i think he had one turnover for through the first two games of the series so that was very uncharacteristic for tyrese in game three and he had a a below average shooting game as well. But, you know, 21 years old, those are going to happen. Like he's averaging almost 27 points a game right now. Just looks to be on a different plane of existence as far as his speed in the open court and, and driving the basketball and also hitting 30 footers and step backs and he's shooting 47% from three in the series so far on six attempts. Um, he's, he's behind Danny Green as as far as the the most attempts on the team. So imagine last year telling someone that Maxie's going to be the second most frequent three-point shooter on the team in a in a postseason series. They'd look at you like you're crazy. Um and Harris and Harris the most accurate. <laughs> and Harris, yeah. <laughs> like what what bizarre world are we living in? Um from what what a difference a year makes. Uh but yeah, Mac, like I don't know. It's I don't know what the ceiling could be for this for this kid. He's 21 years old. He he can score from anywhere on the court. Like just has incredible charisma. Like the arena is chanting his name. Like I'm just so thankful that he he remains a Philadelphia 76er. Like there was a lot of points over the last two years where not even the draft and him falling to 21, but the the trade rumors were constant because he was their one of their most valuable chips in in any trade discussion. Hey, we have this this really young promising guard like he last year he he hasn't been unleashed yet he's raw but you know potential's there and then this year uh he showed signs and it kept growing but 
there was always the contingent. It's like, well, if you get the superstar, if you get Dame or you get Harden or Beal, like maybe that's just the price you got to pay to do it. And through it all, um, you know, Daryl stuck to his guns and eventually was able to swing the Harden deal with, without including Maxi. And he's he's going to be here for a long time. I'm just I'm just really thankful. <laughs> Yeah, and you've talked about it. Like, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that they tried to trade him for Kyle Lowry and, you know, banners fly forever, I think you said a few weeks ago. Yeah, but, the, they man, are, yeah, the flags fly forever, but still. And so I'm so glad that they have Maxi for the foreseeable future. My, my buddy, I woke up to a text message and it said, I had this dream I had the opportunity to trade Maxi for Donovan Mitchell, and I didn't, but I was fine with that. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't right now. I don't think uh, there's a lot of a lot of buzz about Mitchell getting exposed as a defender in the postseason now, and I, I just, I've just never loved the vibes from Mitchell ever since the the rookie the rookie of the year stuff that went down with uh with him and Ben. Um, so yeah, Max, you got Maxi has immaculate vibes, like perfect the the, the hardest worker in the room as everyone will gush to tell you about and like already can make the argument. He was the most improved player in the league this year, even if he wasn't on the final finalist three ballot, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's averaging 27 points a game in the postseason against a a good defensive team. And he's 21 sky's the limit for this kid. Like, I, I found I, myself at the, it's a very short the, list who I would give them up for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we're even having these conversations is just incredible, complete travesty. I know Daryl Moore has credited Elton brand and his staff, uh, Vince Rosman for doing most of the scouting because Moore was new. So credit to the front office and, and their eye for finding this guy. And then credit Daryl for, you know, keeping them in what could have been uh, a couple trades where we think, uh, we'd have to justify it because we knew they wanted to get this guy, but um, and so he's here. And there was a moment in that game, I think the end of regulation, when Embiid missed a step back and has already gotten too, way too much of an earful from people on TNT and whatnot, saying like, "Get in the paint." After that game, you're like, "What else does he have to do?" They're still gonna ask him to like go be Shaq at every moment. Um, but I was thinking in these late moments, I wanted him to pass to Tyrese more because I, I just felt so comfortable that he would play well in the clutch. He just seemed so fearless and poised. Yeah. He had the good start to the overtime where he had, he had a couple buckets. Um, then, it, then it seemed like he, he was trying to force it a little bit. And, and part of that was Harden had fouled out and it just seemed like, well, what else are they going to do? It felt like a little too much pressure was on Maxi then to be like the sole creator on the court because, you know, Embiid, you can only give it to Embiid 20 feet from the basket and hope he gets a, a turnaround fadeaway so many times. Like that can't be your offense. Um, so it, it was on Maxi otherwise. Uh, but yeah, other than, other than that little stretch, he, he's been absolutely incredible this postseason. An interesting. You can see the difference. You, you could, sorry. You could see the difference between him and Harden. Like they do have that thunder and lightning thing where Harden drives, he gets he slows down and he sees everything. Maxie's so fast so that when Harden's out of the game and he's running that that one five pick and roll with Joe, he's he's like sprinting to the cup. So you saw him miss 
Embiid flash in the window. I think Doc Rivers talked about it with Harden out. We weren't seeing our windows. You know, Embiid was in that like restricted area, extended. Maxi didn't spot him, and he took the floater. And thank goodness he made it. I believe that was in overtime right after his reverse layup. Um, but you could see like the room for him to grow as a playmaker is also there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the what you just said with him and Harden, the the point that's been brought up is how what makes it difficult to switch when they run those those small small pick and rolls with the two of them is that Harden you really need a bulkier defender because he's he's so strong and he'll kind of bully his way into the paint so you need a guy that can stand up to that and Maxi's not that kind of guy he's the lightning fast guy like the the thunder and lightning like you said and so when um we'll talk about doc in a moment but he's he's gone to the the hard and maxi pick and rolls like that really leaves the defense in a, in a tough position because there's very few guys in the league that are reasonably quick enough to to hang with maxi and also strong enough to to go up against the the kind of battering ram drives of, of a james harden so that's it puts a the defense in a real conundrum, what they want to do in the, when the Sixers run those, those pick and rolls and everything. Um, to, just to, to put a bow on the, on the maxi portion of the discussion, the, the one thing that that's also been brought up is how he just seems like a guy that's built for the big stage. Like he's really thriving in this, in these playoff atmospheres. And if COVID hadn't canceled the NCAA tournament, his year at Kentucky, and he he got to have a tournament run. There's absolutely no chance mm. he falls to 21 because you you know in your heart that he would have just balled out in that tournament and he, he would have been one of those huge risers leading up to the draft as a result of that. Yeah, you're right. So the uh, small small silver lining about the NCAA tournament getting canceled that year. At least at least yeah, Maxie fell like to the Sixers as a result. Like De'Aaron Fox was you know, late lottery projected. And then he locked up Onzo ball in that big game. And suddenly he was top five pick. Yep. So those things happen. Like that's when every eye is on college players because a lot of play, a lot of people are, you know, watching the NFL and watching, you know, and the first couple months of NBA, they don't maybe pay that much attention to the college until, until March rolls around and you, you focus on the conference tournaments and then the NCAA tournament. So that, that that happens time and again. We see that every year where guys, their stock rises, even though a four-game sample size or whatever shouldn't impact as much as a 30-game sample size. But, hey, that's that's the pressure of the NCAA tournament and, and seeing them against elite competition every game. So those things do get, get weighed a little bit more. And uh, I, f- I feel like Maxi would have risen to that occasion, just like we're seeing him rise to the occasion now. And yeah, I think that would have affected his draft stock for sure. Oh, yeah. All right, let's take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about Doc Rivers, who I, I I don't always have kind words for him on the show, but I, I think he's done a very good job in this series. So we're going to talk about the next. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? 
Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, and we're back. So Dave, Doc, not not always the the poster child of good vibes on, on my show, at least. Um, but yeah, he's done a good job this series. I think we mentioned uh, the, the Harden Maxi pick and roll and how that's become kind of a staple of this uh, of this offensive attack for the Sixers in this series. And may, maybe that was just something he, he kept on their wraps and, and was saving for the postseason, or maybe they just had to incorporate Harden first and then you could try to design more sets for him. Um, and that was difficult to do when he arrived in mid-February. He didn't have much time to do that kind of stuff. He didn't have practices. So maybe it was just they finally had a week worth of practices um, in the in the break between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs. So you could you could kind of incorporate some different sets, but kudos to Doc for for doing that. Whatever the the reasoning was, um, he he's gone to Paul Reed as the backup center, and I think that's been uh, obviously the right choice. Uh, I think we would all say over DeAndre Jordan, uh, Reed hasn't like balled out by any means, but the Sixers have been winning the non-Embiid minutes more often than not, which that's a foreign concept. In, in in this part of the woods <laughs> so uh that, that's that's going just fine like there was a play in game three where uh they were i think they were in the zone and and reed had to switch on to siakam and you know picked his pocket basically and it started a fast break and that was that was a really key play as the sixers were trying to claw back and get it into like single digits um like deandre jordan's not making that play like he's not coming out to the perimeter and defending a, a wing or like so yeah Reed, Reed's been the right call that was another good move by Doc um I think going to Danny Green as the starter back when he kind of had an inkling that they might play Toronto and Matisse wouldn't be available as as the starter and and forming that continuity with the starting unit with with Green on it I think that's paid dividends and, and Green's fit in very nicely back back with the starting five and then uh he's called some really pivotal timeouts um, to kind of swing momentum and, and noticing the flow of the game and, and making the right stops um, to get, get the guys reset. And of course the timeout with uh, 
less than a second left on the shot clock right before Joel's game winner in overtime in game three. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. What, what have you seen the, the decision-making from doc? What, uh, anything I left off that you, you want to credit him for or disagree um, with? I mean, feel free. To, yeah. Yeah. First, I just want to echo everything you said. I expected coaching to be um, a big, big disadvantage for the Sixers heading into the tail end of the season and the postseason, and it has been an advantage. It almost seems like, um, you know, some of it, I guess, coincided with we, when we started hearing reports that like Doc could be fired, Doc could be scapegoated. Jake Fisher was connecting him to Utah and the Lakers, and I guess around that's around when we started seeing Paul Reed all of a sudden, right? Uh, and we started thinking, huh, uh, maybe I have the timeline wrong, but I think it was right around then. So he's definitely made some, what I think are vital changes just in the nick of time. I really like Paul Reed's insertion. You mentioned that it's not flawless. Um, you do start to wonder like, okay, if we're seeing Reed, how come they didn't start ramping him up in February? Was it that necessary to get such a, an extended look at guys who we haven't seen at all yet? Well, I guess DJ did get to guard an inbounder in the final play. Um, <laughs> Yes, it, they, the, the Raptors have not scored when DeAndre Jordan has been on the court. So tip of the, <laughs> the cap to DeAndre. <laughs> and he, he ramped up the starters' minutes significantly. I think when Matisse was in the starting lineup in the regular season, they were playing together around 16 minutes or so per game. But now in the playoffs with Danny in there, that unit is playing around 23. So those two things alone, I think, were big. The absence of mind-blowing head-scratching errors you remember a year ago we were going into the postseason really worried about certain things we had seen uh, well over 300 minutes of Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard we knew we didn't want to see that and we still saw that in the postseason we were a little bit worried about Danny Green on their best ball handler we saw some of that last year we were worried about Tobias carrying a bench unit without either Simmons or Embiid all of those sort of needless challenges are not here now we're we're staggering and beating Harden. we're playing reed in the times where joel sits just for a short amount of time we're really ramping up the starters minutes uh and and like you said some other wrinkles like calling a two three zone to try to claw back into that game um and it working for steals Harden finding lobs to guys that he doesn't have a ton of chemistry with um and then other things like we we should simply give doc some credit for Tobias Harris having this sudden and monumental turnaround. He deserves credit there because Harris credited his coach with sitting him down and getting him on board with the important role changes that he's had. And we would certainly hammer Doc for not uh, developing a young guy. So we should give him some credit where credit's due on Tyrese Maxey being a star as well. Not to mention uh, Joel Embiid is the MVP for like two years running with this coach. So happy to tip cap to Doc. Yeah, all, all good points. I, I'm glad you brought up the zone, which I mentioned, but I didn't really include as like a doc decision. But I thought it was funny that people would always rag on doc for using the zone because the Sixers have been so bad against facing zones. So people always like to the joke that doc only uses zones because uh, he sees how bad the Sixers are against them and assumes <laughs> that everyone else will be as well. So I, I thought it was funny that yet. Yeah, Maybe all that was just built building up to 
him bringing it out in this critical moment of a, of a postseason game and hey the practice the practice paid off and they looked really good in it and it it worked well against toronto who uh it kind of forced them like to hey if you're going to beat us you're going to have to beat us from just shooting threes and fortunately they they were off and they started missing their shots and that that kind of turned the game around a little bit so uh, yeah, an, an, a good uh, that was a great decision by Doc. So yeah, you're right to, to bring that up as well. And for sure, he he deserves credit for Tobias's uh, transition and his accepting a new role, and for Maxi's development, and for Embiid continuing to blossom. As you said, like we we all like to uh, rag on him for like X's and O's and lineup decisions and everything else, but there there are player development things that is also a big part of coaching and uh it's it's hard to find examples of guys that haven't developed uh under doc rivers there's been more that have than haven't so definitely deserves credit for that they have um, they have the best uh, the second best true shooting percentage in the playoffs just behind the warriors so they deserve some credit there i mean their shooting profile isn't always like daryl Morey ball you know they do shoot a handful of mid-range shots a large part of that is their personnel like Joel Embiid likes to do that but their free throws are through the roof they got a lot of stops it did not expect them to play so well defensively down the stretch in game three they did uh, and they don't have the most simple to teach defense you know like what Ime Udoka is doing in Boston switching everything with some zones they're not these are not like exotic schemes that Boston is running they're really really good defense um, but a lot of that is their personnel and the switch everything and sort of the shadowing superstars and leaving open Bruce Browns. I think what the Sixers are trying to do is somewhat more difficult because they don't have the continuity. They made that big trade midseason. Harden traditionally likes to switch. He's not the best off-ball defender. Joel Embiid is a complete dominant force defensively, as we've seen recently in the playoffs. Um, but he's not someone you want switching 30 feet away to, to get out on Fred Van Fleet so that they are clicking in the way that they are without a ton of time to do it. Um, to the point where we're like, what, where is this coming from, from Tobias um, and doing it with a combination of Harris, Harden and Maxi on the floor, which could have been a complete disaster defensively coaching staff, um, not just doc deserves plenty of credit for this too. Yeah, absolutely. So Dan Burke also, yeah, should deserve some credit. The entire staff um, been a, been a great defensive effort from, from the Sixers in the postseason. Um, all right, so up 3 0, 143-0 are teams that are up 3-0 in a seven-game series. So <laughs> you don't want to say it's over, but it's it's all but over at this point. Um, so let's let's turn Doc our Rivers, first coach ever to lose up 3-0. <laughs> Not satisfied with losing 3-1 leads. Doc accepts a new challenge, losing a 3-0 lead. Um, <laughs> uh, don't expect to see that. Uh Let's let's turn our attention to uh, to other matters, and one of which we'll just quickly touch upon this because I don't I don't really feel like lit- relitigating it too much. But a lot of talk about how people should feel silly who voted for Nikola Jokic for MVP based on what the first round has been like this far thus far, where Embiid has a game winner and his team's up three zero, and the Nuggets look like they're gonna get handily defeated by the Warriors in their series um I don't I I don't have strong thoughts basically I feel like it's a regular season award 
so playoffs shouldn't really factor into it. And we all kind of knew that the Sixers had a good shot against the Raptors, whereas the Nuggets were the Warriors are the better team. Like, so it's not surprising that it's maybe surprising the Sixers are up 3-0, but it's not surprising they're winning the series. And it's not surprising the Warriors are beating the Nuggets in their series. So I don't think those results should factor into the MVP. But I don't know. Do you have any strong thoughts on the matter in in any sense? Um, I tend to agree with our um, con- uh, produce, community producer, Paul Hudrick, who, who did a podcast and he basically said, like, the, the MVP award is over. But Joel Embiid is the is the best player on the planet right now, and that's kind of where my head has been at. Like, all right, fine, Jokic is going to win that award because people wanted to vote for Jokic. I didn't agree with it. I would have voted for Joel Embiid. Um, I think his combination of offense plus defense has made him the more high impact player. But who cares? Now the bigger question to me is: Is he the best player in the playoffs right now? And that's that we're having those conversations is more exciting to me because I want finals MVP. Yeah. For Joe. It's probably him or Jordan Poole is probably one of the, it's gotta be one of those two. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Joel's been pretty consistent, not only this year, but last year, like, Hey, MVP be great. Uh, I mean, he certainly lobbied for it to some extent, but I, I think he's always maintained that winning a championship is his, his ultimate goal. So I think that's, that's what Sixers fans and, and those that were boosting Embiid for MVP should be focused on more than trying to relitigate the MVP conversation. Um, that's where that's where I'm at with it. Uh, let, let's worry about a finals MVP, not not the regular season MVP. And and hopefully that that will be a conversation we can have down the road. Um, but they did get it wrong. And, and <laughs> that they left him off first team all NBA, like some of the ballots we've seen is a complete travesty. Yeah, that people should be embarrassed about that for sure. Humiliated. <laughs> I understand if you wanted to vote for, I, there was a pretty clear top tier of Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic. And I, you can make an argument for any of those guys. I'm not going to kill you for choosing one of the other two. But yeah, how, how could any of those three not be on all, all NBA first team? Like uh, We cool. will pro- bookmark <laughs> our fury and ire for when we have to have that conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, hope maybe, yeah, maybe that won't be the case. Maybe the, the ones we've seen that left him off the list are more the outliers. Uh, I, I guess we can hope, but yeah, we'll see about that one, but all right. Uh, as I said, I didn't feel like relitigating the MVP conversation, um, uh, but it's, it's been a, a hot topic. So I thought we should at least touch on it. Um, more, more substantially, uh, let's talk about the playoff landscape at large where, seen a, a number of unfortunate injuries for for contending teams we saw Devin Booker is going to be out a couple weeks for for Phoenix um, Chris Milton will be reevaluated in two weeks so maybe he's come back in two weeks and maybe it, it could possibly be longer for the Bucks so those are two teams that I think most people would have considered the favorites to come out of their respective conferences now losing all-stars uh, and what was a wide open field is even more wide open right now, which uh, it kind of speaks to what happens every year where, yeah, some of it is is putting the best roster together, but ultimately some of it is also who can stay healthy at the right time. Um, so one good thing for the Sixers is that they have a pretty, pretty clean injury report right now. 
Yeah, it, we always talk about it a lot when it first happens, and then there's a winner of the championship, and then we completely forget how they got there and what it took. You know, we were quick to anoint the Raptors the best team of 2019, forgetting it took injuries to KD and Klay Thompson for them to get there. Last year, we, you know, anoint Giannis, but they needed injuries to James Harden and Kyrie Irving. So every year we could go in and, and look at what the last team standing needed to happen in order to hoist the Larry OB. So, so far, so good for the Sixers. Devastating for the uh, Bucks and MCL is what Kevin Durant had. He missed 21 games. They were pretty conservative. You assume the Bucks will be a little bit more aggressive because now it's the playoffs. And maybe his wasn't as severe. I have no idea. Um, didn't look quite as bad in real time, but I'm not a doctor. So hopefully he's okay the, the Devin Booker one is tough because while his timeline is shorter I think one week less right um I know as a fan who's rooted for players returning from a grade one hamstring you're never comfortable like you, you can't watch him play without worrying a little bit when there's a loose ball when he's sprinting on a fast break it's going to be in the back of your mind he's probably going to be in the back of that player's mind too yeah I mean we've talked a lot about hamstrings in regard to Harden. So, you know, know how tricky those could be. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is try to force the issue and come back before it's absolutely hundred percent ready, because that's, that's one of those things that re-injury is, is always in the back, back of your mind as a possibility. Um, so you, Harden, Harden had a grade one hamstring strain in March of 2021, and he's still not the same player. So, you know, maybe he pushed it, um, some of the reporting was like he was out drinking the night before a treatment and then he played. So yeah, you do not want to push these things. Uh, Dallas fans rooting for Luca to come back. Warriors fans can remind you, Hey, don't push a calf strain. Cause that's, that tendon is connected yeah. to the Achilles. Yep. And yeah, suddenly like, you're referring to Clay Thompson and suddenly he's out an additional year plus. So that, yeah. I mean, I mean, KD, KD was coming back from that calf strain. Oh, okay. But yeah. what was what was clay coming because he had the was it the knee the acl clay tore his acl landing um from was it a block or a dunk and he landed and tore it and then he tried to come back and he did it again um he might have done the other one right it might have been a, what people think it was a compensation issue yeah but yeah durant was yeah you're right durant, durant was the achilles in the in the finals right it was in the, it was, yes, I believe it was game three of the finals. And yep. The Raptors were, fans were cheering. It was this disgraceful scene. Well, we know, you know, the Raptors fans based on game three aren't, aren't always the most hospitable um, or, <laughs> or classy. So uh, yeah, not, not surprising. Um, yeah. So definitely a good point that, Hey, it's, it's not the be all it's, it's not, a short it's not always a short-term thing if you try to come back from injury too quickly like it, it could have career altering uh proposition if, if you do that so you got to be smart so i'm sure these teams are keeping that in mind um but yeah really bad breaks for uh both of last year's finals participants um milwaukee and phoenix who many thought had a, had a good shot to return and have a finals rematch um, fortunately for the Sixers, not dealing with that right now. And to, to your point about every year 
there is something that's why I, I always feel like it's ridiculous to to put like asterisks on on championships as if there were years where those injuries mattered more than other injuries. There's always there's always something as as you said. You could point to any year, and there's there's injuries that swung a series. Um, so to to point out some and not others is ridiculous. And that's it. That it, that's why winning a championship is incredibly hard. And anyone who's done it regardless of circumstances, they, they fully earned that. There's, there's no asterisks. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah. nevertheless, Sixers up three Oh, everything uh, looking, looking great for them right now. Uh, and hopefully that will continue going forward. They can hopefully wa- uh, wrap up this, this round one series pretty quickly. They would face Miami who has looked look good against Atlanta thus far. So I don't think it would be a case where Miami would have this drawn out series and Sixers would have a ton more rest going into get to a, uh, a second, second round series against them, but we'll see. Um, stranger things have happened. Uh, what, what do you think about uh, a potential round two series against Miami, Dave? I, I know heading into the last couple of weeks of the, the regular season everyone wanted to talk about like what would be an easy path and i know you kind of mentioned you'd rather face miami than a, a milwaukee or boston round two and maybe that wasn't that was why you weren't as worried about getting toronto in round one because it set you up a year easier in round two do you still feel that way that miami would be a, a, i get an easier matchup for philadelphia versus having the the other path i the only reason i would say no, is because of the Middleton injury. If I was a Celtics fan, I would be looking at what I think is an easier path if they could emerge from this series against the Nets and they dodged a bullet in game one. They came back from, what, 17 points in game two. And now they might get to host a team that doesn't even have Chris Middleton in the next round, right? Yeah. So um, good to be a Celtics fan if you're looking at things like that and you're willing to count some chickens that haven't hatched at all yet, but for the Sixers, um, yeah, I think you're better off facing Miami in round two than you would be Boston because they're, they're not as good. I think the Celtics look like the best team in the East right now, and they, they don't even have Robert Williams currently. So um, nobody is unbeatable in my opinion. No one in the in either conference at this point has emerged as this juggernaut. The Suns might have looked like one at one point, but the injury certainly levels that playing field. And I think the Sixers would be very slim underdogs in a series against Miami. I'm, I'm assuming game one would be like minus two and a half um, for the home team. Yeah, I think it would definitely be an evenly matched series um, for sure, yeah. and and plenty of storylines. Uh, Jimmy Butler being being one of them, the Kyle Lowry against his his hometown team, and all the the Maxi Lowry possibilities to discuss. Uh, yeah, so that that'll no, be a really no Justice Winslow to stomp on Joel's mask. <laughs> I Remember forgot that? about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and yeah, there's some recent. Uh, playoff history between the two the two franchises so yeah that's that's always a little spicy as well so yeah that'll be fun if that does come to fruition first they, they do have to take care of business against toronto but up three oh right now so good good vibes and good feelings 
around the team right now. Uh, hopefully that continues in the future. Dave, thanks for joining me and uh, discussing this this wonderful 3-0 lead that the Sixers have built. Um, where, where can everybody find your work online and on social media? You can find me on social media on Twitter, D-A-V-I-D-E-A-R-L-Y. My DMs are open. You could shoot me a question and I'll try to incorporate it into a post or a podcast. I cover the Nets for clutch points in addition to the Sixers for Liberty Ballers. And hopefully the Nets can stay alive for another few games here. <laughs> yeah, always always good for traffic to have a few more playoff games. And and you got That's Ben right. Simmons coming back in game four. Uh, ben Simmons is eyeing <laughs> a return for game four. And I know Sixers fans have feelings about that. Yep. So any any Ben Simmons actually playing basketball will be good for clutch points traffic. So the, the, the image of Kyle Korver talking him through a shooting drill was just so good. Followed by the brick. <laughs> and then yeah. they didn't they didn't and then they stopped after that they didn't show any more shots they just they just yeah. showed the one brick and that was it it was it was perfect just chef's kiss stuff <laughs> <laughs> um all right well dave thanks so much everybody out there i'm uh, sean kennedy you can find me on twitter at philly fast break and uh for libertyballers.com of course so enjoy uh game four saturday and hopefully that that'll be it for this toronto series but uh, any any games going forward until I talk to everyone next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.